You're listening to Tabletop Arcanum, a podcast dedicated to learning and exploring the hobby of tabletop gaming. Your hosts are Justin Taylor and Richard Geese, so sit back and relax as we talk, discuss, and joke our way through the hobby we love so much. Your epic saga is about to begin. Against the Dark Master is a tabletop epic fantasy role-playing game of high adventure, heroic action, and heavy metal combat. Travel to distant lands, face terrible dangers, uncover ancient items of power, and gather the armies of the world under your banner and defeat the ultimate evil. Welcome to Tabletop Arcane. My name is Justin, and today I bring you a review of the Against the Dark Master RPG Core Book, published by Open-Ended Games has a MSRP of $65 for the print book. You can get it less if you go with PDF for $22.49. So this is a big, chunky, 560-plus page monster tome of an RPG. Against the Dark Master, on a high-level overview, is trying to recapture some of those old AD&D aspects along with classic high fantasy like Lord of the Rings with some heavy metal influenced uh, combat and themes very similar to what you would hear if you listen to Man of War or Nightwish. Overall it is a nice open-ended system. The biggest thing is you're using uh, D100 dice or percentile dice to cover most of your skills. So the numbers are a little bit crunchier than uh, say a uh, basic uh, D20 system. Now, another big piece that it does go going for it is our setting neutral. The biggest thing about Against the Dark Master is you have to think about most epic fantasy having some sort of big, terrible, dark force, possibly embodiment of evil and that the heroes have to rise up against. And the rest of the world is pretty much under that, that thumbnail of that evil lord. Uh, we have Sauron in... Lord of the Rings, we have uh, He Who Shot My Neighbor Voldemort from the Harry Potter series uh, as a more recent example. You have the Dark One in Wheel of Time, very big iconic name, like the Dark One is just what his name was called, and it's this big empath for him, and he had the Forsaken who were his lieutenants and commanders, and that's the sort of force that you're dealing with. However, Against the Dark One allows the GM to create their own version of this, they have some examples in the book, which are always lovely to have, but they also have a lot of tables and a lot of ways of how to build that and how to build the lieutenants and kind of build this evil power that the heroes are going to potentially come across and uh, pit their wills against. Um, the big piece that is also important on this D100 open uh, system is they use open-ended rolls, which means if you roll either within a low, super low threshold or super high threshold in your D100, you pick up the dice and you add it again, or in the case of the low end, you subtract it again, and you get this bigger range, and you can get 150 with your bonuses. You can get to 200. You can get huge numbers because the dice essentially explode on you, and you get to add them up uh, with a secondary roll. And that's how uh, some crits can happen. That's how some big stuff can happen. One of the big things, uh, first impressions, other than it, it is a big, massive tome, it has a lot of that classic art style that I grew up reading with Advanced Dungeons and & Dragons and some of those old 
80s era RPGs, even some of the early 90s stuff, but a lot of it is inspired from the older RPG crowd. The amount of tables and things really resonated with me with uh, Rollmaster being a very chart-heavy uh, and brutal combat system. Now, one of the good things about that is you can get a lot of the heavy lifting of describing criticals and penalties of like, okay, so you hit him with a bludgeoning weapon, now roll your critical damage on that bludgeoning weapon, and you can actually get real penalties like, oh, did you break a bone? So it has a lot of that crunchy, gory combat that you would expect from like a heavy metal or not necessarily grim dark fantasy, but definitely a more brutal fantasy than say your Dungeons and Dragons would be on the natural level. One other big piece that it does do is it offers a lot of suggestions on how to use the game in your world, in your setting, because it doesn't actually have one of its own. Now, they do have everything from creating your characters to the kins, which are the different races, or, or on a lot of them are your atypical fantasy. Man, high man, which is noble, or um, dwarf, halfling, half-elf, silver elf, dusk elf, star elf, so a couple different elf variations, including your more savage uh, elves to your immortal Tolkien-esque elves as well. Wild folk, orcs, half-orcs, trolls, fear bogs, they're all there um, in that sense. And the neat thing about each of them is you combine that with a culture and your vocation. So culture is kind of what type of environment did your character come up in? Were they in the city? Were they noble? Were they out in the pasture in, in kind of a shire setting? Were they in the woods or are they um, possibly seafaring? You time that with your archetypical vocation or class. Are they a warrior? Are they a rogue? Are they a wizard? And then there's a couple other caster type themes. So Animus is very much a, a spiritual uh, type of caster. Champion is a little bit more of a paladin-esque caster. And Dabbler is a little bit of... They don't really have any formal training. They just kind of learn some tricks along the way. So all of these kind of pull together into building your character. And they also include what sort of improvements and your improvement costs. So some characters are in, and like the rogue is going to be, has their set of skills that they're going to be really good at. The warriors are going to have the more combat based skills. The wizards are going to be more lore based and you can adjust the scores or adjust your development on your character around a little bit, but usually at a two to one ratio, if it's normally not a thing your, your vocation can do. Likewise, there's background and, a chapter about background descriptions and how to build background points which are kind of more of your extra flavor on a character to make them a little bit more unique a little bit more your own and then the other big piece that this game adds mechanically is uh, passion and, and drives what is your hero trying to do what is important to them and you can get these drive points which then can be spent to do fantastic things so spending your drive points, depending if you spend one or up to five drive points, you can add to your rolls, either doing re-rolls and increasing severity of a critical strike, or doing just a basic re-roll with a plus 10 bonus on it, to ignoring penalties from actions from wounds and kind of doing something extra heroic. So drive is actually a really nice mechanic in that sense, and they kind of act as action points or hero points for your character that you can earn. And by earning them, you earn more of your hero's path and that can 
when you hit milestones in Hero's Path, extra big things can uh, occur from that. So it's all about kind of expanding that hero story, and it's really cool in that sense. Levels of progression are very flexible, I will say. That it's more of a milestone uh, aspect to it, where if you've earned enough experience, experience is actually set by the group and the table. It's not necessarily your standard, like, well, you defeated X amount of orcs, and that's what you get. But it goes back to almost the AD&D aspect of, did you use your skills in a useful way? Did you help the party in a useful way? Did you do things? And this is all based on the group's uh, decisions of how they want to do it. And you can break it down to character-specific stuff and vocational dedicated stuff. So the warrior and the rogue are earning point experience differently because they're just going to be playing their characters right. Or you can kind of have a bigger massive group aspect to it either way you earn those experience points you hit a threshold and then you can increase your skills you don't really necessarily get a lot of new stuff it's just you start improving the stuff that you already have or start picking up skills you didn't quite have yet but were pretty much available from the beginning for you the other big piece that we have to talk about as far as characters go is the magic system this one does have a pretty interesting magic system in my opinion because it's based on schools of magic and not necessarily individual spells. So you learn that if you're a wizard, you pick which types of magic you can cast. And that may be Eldritch Fire, and that's where your fireballs and your fire spells kind of live. Or it might be mind magic, or you might have detection magic, or illusion and glamours. And all of these different schools of magic, or as they call um, uh, lores in this game, grow with you. So... Everyone who's level one knows Eldritch, with Eldritch Fire knows that same spell. And when you get to level two, you unlock the level two version of Eldritch Fire, which is going to be more and more fire-based and thematically-based magic. So you're not necessarily picking and choosing which spells you're learning every level. You're just unlocking the next tier in the picks that you've already done from character creation. Magic and casting is actually a little bit unique in the sense of you not only have to be able to have that school and that spell and you have magic points instead of spell slots. So you're burning a, a expendable resource, but then you got to make sure that you are not only knowledgeable enough in that particular school of magic, but also your level has to be matching in order to be able to cast something. So there's a couple gateway checkpoints to make sure that you are not uh, overreaching yourself. Now, they do have some ability to overreach or add extra magic points to a spell to kind of get a electric kick out of it. And that was a fun little thing that they added in there that I really like called overcasting. The other big thing is casting time and consequences. You can prepare and like take time to do a spell and get a bigger bonus on it. And most everything in this game is that open-ended roll. You want to get that biggest bonus as possible because that's how you're going to get the good stuff, right? Another big thing that I did enjoy, they do handle equipment pretty easily in this game. It's more of what is your current wealth level and can you meet the requirements of that item wealth requirement to say, oh yeah, you can totally afford that or no, you're a little poor to uh, earn full plate at this time. Next time, well, go find some dragon and get his horde and then you'll increase your wealth level and then all of a sudden, boom, you can afford the nicer stuff. They do cover a lot of the basic stuff with not only resolving actions, but then movement and traveling is covered pretty thoroughly and well. 
camping is actually a pretty interesting system that they did add in there because there is not only your basic camping out in the wilderness where the dark one might find you, but then there's also safe havens that you can come across. And these are things like maybe Rivendell in Lord of the Rings where there is Elrond that watches over in orcs and, and the dark forces of Sauron don't go there because it's pr- well protected. Uh, something like Tom Bombadil's home, which is just naturally repellent against evil and is a safe place to go to. It's something that is a limited resource. There's not a lot of safe havens. Once you find them, those are kind of like base camps for uh, the PCs for a lot of the, the the game. And it's a nice little touch on there. The last thing I want to talk about in, in, the, in the positive column in the health and healing, it does offer a lot of different ways to do uh, basic healing, how to rest, how to treat with things like healing herbs and other natural healing objects, which is a lot of fun. They do have some fun stuff going on in a couple other areas, like talking about how to set up your dark one and how to kind of build adventures around it, which is a nice feature. They have a bestiary, which covers a lot of your high fantasy stuff. So not only your orcs, your trolls and things of that nature, but your evil men, your bogarts, some of your fey are found in there. It's not very deep overall compared to a monstrous manual or creature feature folio, but it gets what you want out of something like this where you're really just facing small amount of monsters and they're pretty much humanoid or evil people in general the one thing that is interesting that sets this kind of apart is this is a game that you would want if you want to invoke a lord of the Rings style game or story without being tied to all of the lore and connection points to that now I also want to talk about some of the opportunities in this game. Being the flip side of that, there isn't a lot of lore or story. So on the GM side of things, you are kind of creating your own world from this. There's no preset setting. You don't have that nice touchstone for those pick-up-and-go style games. You have to put a little bit more work and effort into this one uh, on the front end to make sure it works for everybody. They do have some pre-written adventures and some sample areas already in the book, which I thought was a nice touch to kind of give you to make sure, like, I think it's it's really important to show how they intend the system to work and how they intend adventures to be written with their system so that you can have a really nice, clean, hey, this is my template. I'm going to kind of follow along with this model, mold and go with it from there. I like the open dice roll system. But if you're not a big player on a lot of crunchy, heavy rules, charts sort of game, this one may not be an ideal choice for you. Now, that being flip side, if you like games like Rollmaster or Shadowrun, which have deep, complex tables and charts and look up things and see exactly what you did when you swung your blade like that in the critical way and you roll a, a, a natural 72 and you can look at the chart and go, ah, so the 72 plus my bonuses put, put me at 105, and 105 means that this is what happens to them. That's nice to have for that. It's definitely not for everybody. And if you're coming from a very simplified rule system, it's going to feel a little bit cumbersome in that sense. I don't think it's as cumbersome as Rollmaster or Shadowrun is. So it kind of sits a little in between the two and depends on where you're... Um, familiarity with all the game systems are of where this might land for you personally. I think Against the Dark Master has a lot of benefits in the sense that it is setting light, that it has a nice open-ended 
easy to start game system as far as just roll percentiles, add your bonuses and go. The character sheets are actually written with the formulas of where everything comes from for your bonuses. So once you calculate that out, you're pretty good to go. I would recommend Against the Dark Master for people who are looking to capture some of that old AD&D feel without busting out those old AD&D books. I would also recommend it for people who are looking for something a little meatier and chunkier that isn't quite high epic like Pathfinder tends to be or as heroic as D&D tends to be. This is a little bit on the more dangerous and meatier side of things, but still not quite all the way into a grim, dark, you are battling against the darkness and there is no hope in the world. You are that hope in the world. And instead of being awesomely heroic, you're looking at items of power. You're looking at legendary artifacts that you discover and not necessarily use in such a way where it's like well this is just a plus one sword but no that sword has a name that sword has lore that sword has possible feelings or or extra powers that you may not be aware of and it feels like everything has a little bit more depth and breadth to it but you need to put that work into it to to have that so that has been the tabletop arcanum's review of against the dark master from open-ended games i hope you enjoyed listening to this review we're on facebook twitter and instagram we're also on youtube make sure you hit those like follow subscribe buttons to find us on those and make sure you get those notifications to make sure you know when a new episode is up as always thank you for listening and happy gaming to Tabletop Arcanum, produced by Justin Taylor. This episode is hosted by Justin Taylor. Mixing and editing by Richard Geese. Original theme by Paul Moore and Isaac Gilbert. Check the description for this episode's featured background music. You can follow us on most social media platforms. Be sure to like, subscribe, and follow, and leave us a review if you would. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.